Fan Drive Time, Sportsnet 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis and Blake Murphy. Maple Leafs uh, split a pair of games Saturday, Sunday against the Hurricanes and the Predators. Uh, they have a Panthers team that does not control its own first-round pick this upcoming season and is currently not in the playoff mix in the Eastern Conference. So they are desperate for a victory. That's on Wednesday. Uh, let's talk to former Jack Adams Award winner, uh, Currently NHL Network Analyst. Uh, he will be a guest at the Consmythe Sports Celebrity Dinner on Wednesday at the Royal York. And you can get tickets at com. It is Bruce Boudreaux. How's it going, Bruce? It's going well. It's going well. I'm glad to be back in the big city. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're glad to have you back. Uh, we're glad to have you at the Consmythe uh, Sports Celebrity Dinner, which is always a, a great event uh, yearly. You're a great storyteller. Like, at, at any point, are you worried about running out of stories? Although, I, I imagine you got a few from this season, maybe. <laughs> that would be uh, interesting if you, if you told them at the dinner. Well, no, I can't tell those ones at the dinner oh. until July 1st. <laughs> when they stop paying me, maybe I can tell those stories. <laughs> yeah, that'll be good. Or, yeah. or or when the book comes out, like if you thought about, you know, I mean, listen, it's who knows where your next stop is is going to be. But at at the conclusion of your head coaching career, have you thought about a, a Bruce Boudreaux biography? Well, I don't think a biography, but it, well, I guess it could be part partial of that. But I mean, there's some interesting tidbits, uh, surely behind the scenes stuff that uh, would be interesting to the, I think, to the to the fan and in my years of coaching, but uh, I haven't really thought about it too much. I mean, uh, in, in maybe in, in fiction, I've talked about it saying, man, uh, I'd like to be able to tell that story, but people have to be dead before I can write the book, you know, but uh, um, uh, so no, I'm, I'm still trying to look forward and hopefully the, the career continues in some, uh, some form and uh, worry about that rather than, worrying about uh, talking about my book when I'm done and retired. Yeah, maybe acting is is the next venture for you, <laughs> Bruce, because honestly, I, I, I don't know how this slipped past me that you have, I don't know, cameo is probably too much to, to put it, but like you appear as an extra in Slapshot, and I guess your apartment gets uh, more of the, the starring nod in, in that movie. And then, of course, there was... Uh, a promo you did for some some place that I, I can't think of right now around the trade deadline. Have you, have you like? And it was incredible, honestly. Like you have a, apparently some natural talent there for acting. If you has anybody come calling after that? I don't think so. I'm really not your leading man. Looking, I'm really good for radio and everything, but I don't think uh, I don't think Hollywood's uh, really worried about getting a hold of me at any time soon. <laughs> All right, well then let's 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 keep it to the hockey analysis. Um, nine nine games to go for uh, the Maple Leafs before that first round meeting with the Tampa Bay Lightning, and it and it feels like all but a certainty now that the Leafs will have home ice advantage in uh, the seventh game of that series as they lead them by seven points and have uh, a game in hand. How much evaluation is still happening? Do you think for for a head coach at this point in the situation that the Maple Leafs are in, having some new guys that they're still trying to figure out? where they should should land whether it's the defensive partners or or the or the lines or even honestly the starting goalie for game number one well i think there's you know when you got that many good players there's always questions i mean uh, i went through that went through it in 2010 and and you start really nitpicking uh on your lineup when so many guys are are so close to uh, uh, being the same as far as talent wise or usefulness uh, on your team with the Leafs have 
9D, I think. And, I mean, it's got to be a tough decision, you know, for all of them. And a couple of them have been there all year and and have played almost every game for a team that's in the top 10 defensively in the league. And and all of a sudden you're thinking, is somebody else better than that? So what I'm saying, I guess, is is for coaches, it's it's a tough decision. And and the one problem that we sometimes uh, all have uh, is we overthink things unless we're really – precise and we know what we want and we're not letting anybody sway us i mean every little day um uh, <clears throat> we overthink things like i think with the with the leafs i mean sheldon knows the players so much better than anybody else i firmly believe but if he plays a game like nashville where they play a really good game and defensively and somebody really sticks out say it's luke shen and and then the next day um somebody else uh uh sticks out you know i mean then you go okay man what what decision do i have and and i think a lot will depend on the opponent um with with the with the leafs anyway as far as on the defense as far as the goaltending goes man there's always the toughest decision in the world i mean um when you got two guys that can play one guy's got the history of being great in the playoffs the other guys outplayed him during the course of the year i mean uh it it would be you know, I mean, all of these decisions, I think, are usually uh, a lot of by committee. I mean, he's going to be talking to the assistants, the general manager, and, and the president, potentially, and, and seeing what they think. And, and, I mean, he'll have his idea, and if his idea is uh, the strongest idea, then he'll go with that one. But, I mean, um, it's it, it's always what sometimes like coaches like when they only have 20 players. They don't have to make decisions on the lineup. But... Uh, on those two areas, at least we'll have to make a decision. Then they'll have to make a decision when Ryan O'Reilly gets back. Are we going to play him, um, play Tavares at left wing, or are we going to have Ryan O'Reilly at the third-line center? I mean, um, I think both are both are, are good questions. But, I mean, in, in my mind, as a coach, man, strength down the middle, if you could get uh, those three guys and, and Achari as the fourth-line center, you know, every time that you step on the ice, you've got you've got somebody in control, and that's what the the centers are—the guys that are in control—and and, and uh, it would make it very tough for any other team to play against them. Bruce, that's a, a great and really thoughtful answer, and I think it lays out, you know, even at this time of year, just how much is on a coach's mind, how much they're they're trying to sort through game to game with the playoffs so close. Um, a name you mentioned there in painting an example was Luke Shen. That's a player who uh, you got to know pretty well. The last couple of years uh, played some hundred odd games for you while you were with Vancouver. Um, let's say it is uh, Tampa Bay in the first round. What can Luke Shen bring to that defense group that maybe you don't see from, from someone else in this top eight? Well, first of all, he's going to uh, anything below the circles. Uh, Luke blocks shots. He hits everything. He's quick on the puck. Like he's quick to move his legs. He might not get there as fast as everybody else. But and standing in front of the net uh, will not be an option for another team. I mean, there he is there, and he finishes checks, and he eliminates the guys. And um, the other thing that people don't know about Luke that I, I really loved about him was is that if you give him time and space, he always makes the right play. He's not a panic guy back there. I mean, his his fault is that he might not get there as quick as anybody else, or. If it's a one-on-one, sometimes if he gets caught flat-footed, you can beat him to the outside. But, I mean, um, when he's in the lineup, you know about it. 
he's fabulous in the locker room. I mean, you can't get anybody better in the locker room, and he and he'll protect any one of the players and on the ice and at any time. So I mean, when you you know when it comes to playoffs and and the refs put the whistle away a little bit, it's always great mm. to have that good protector out there, and and especially if you look at teams that have won the cup in. You know, I can go back a long, an awful long time. They always have four or five big defensemen. And, I mean, uh, uh, Colorado was, you know, they got the McCars, but they once they got Josh Manson uh, last year, that was, to me, the key to winning the Cup. I mean, uh, if he's healthy, again, it's a different story. But, I mean, he's a big six foot four, 225-pound guy that can play, and that was a big difference the years before. Tampa had huge defense, and uh, that's how they won. When Montreal went to the, the Cup final, they had four big defensemen, and I mean, it, it's just a key, and that's where Luke brings a big, strong, solid defenseman, and and uh, I think that would really help the Leafs. Yeah, and and he's uh, a veteran of postseason experience as well with uh, those great Tampa Bay Lightning teams. Uh, although not playing every game, but he knows what it's like to to play at the the highest level on, on the biggest stage that this sport has to offer. There's a couple of guys that, that don't have as much, and, and notably one guy that I think is going to play some pretty heavy minutes right out of the gate in in the postseason in Jake McCabe. How, I mean, is it possible that, 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 you know, it's such a shock to the system for a guy playing in his first couple of postseason games that, that their game, their performance changes in the postseason? How should we view the fact that Jake McCabe has... I mean, these are the first games of like really any significance down the stretch of a regular season. He's he's even played. What are you expecting out of a, a guy that that we've never seen in the postseason and is likely to play twenty minutes a game come the playoffs? I mean, that's the big question. What are we What are we going to see? I don't know, but he's been, he's been great so far. And I think once you get that first period jitters out, you just start thinking about it as your game. Um, you're the, the big thing with, with Jake or anybody is, is the focus is going to be right on. This is what playoffs get, get you. You can take players, take Kucherev, for example. Like, I mean, in the regular season, you might see him floating a little bit and, you know, and dipsy doodling and, and coming off the ice slow on changes and that. And, to, and but once the playoffs start, it's the focus. And I, I believe that the defense on the Leafs will be totally focused. There's no... Uh, there's no getting the puck and haphazardly flipping the puck up up the middle. They will be making deliberate plays, and and so I mean I'm not worried about Jake in the in the end. That's what I'm saying. That uh, I think I mean his first shift with the the new team might be well, you know, and uh, it might be well the the pace is picked up, but he'll be he'll get accustomed to it in a in a hurry. It's just the same as when he got traded from Chicago, and and now he's on a on a you know, I mean, a cup challenging team mm. that uh, uh, the first probably couple of games he was a little nervous, but he started to fit right in really well. Oh, yeah, I agree. Um, and uh, we'll see how he fares in game one against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Again, it's likely to be at home. Uh, Leafs have a pretty sizable advantage in the standings. but And you know what? And the Lightning are playing some pretty crappy hockey right now as well, Bruce. They've lost four straight. They, they've really had a, a, a rough month or so. I mean, how much talk do you put into the fact that, that this team really looks, frankly, tired? They played a bunch of games, but they played a, a lot of games the last, like, three, four years in getting to a three straight Stanley Cup finals and, and winning two of them. Is it possible that all that hockey is, has caught up to them, or 
is it is this just a team that knows that there's only postseason games that matter to them at this point in in that franchise's um story arc that that you can't really judge anything that's happening here in these 82 regular seasons season games i mean you you can't i wouldn't put any stock into it i mean uh, john cooper's the 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 best coach in the nhl and he'll get these guys wired to play these guys right now they didn't uh, they didn't have home ice advantage last year i don't think they care at all whether they're at home or on the road even though they don't have a good road record this year i think they realize that uh, uh, in their minds it's all about the playoffs and uh, they're going to come out to play now that being said i've thought they've there's been an inordinate amount of seven goal games against them and and little losing streaks and and maybe it's their time that it's you know what their race has been run and and uh it's time for somebody new to take over but uh i I wouldn't going in there thinking oh they're done we got this by you know it's going to be easy because (laughs) that would scare the hell out of me every time playing this team yeah, I don't think any Leaf fan is certainly thinking that, uh, and I don't think anybody that's uh, watched Maple Leafs really over the last 50 or so years is is thinking that by by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Connor McDavid riding a one-game goalless drought. Uh, so still sitting on six. Yeah. We should send him to the minors. <laughs> Absolutely, 100%. He stinks right now. Uh, holding strong at 60, um, he might get to 70. Who knows? I mean, it, it's been an unbelievable season for him. And uh, I was talking about this last week, Bruce, that you throw the numbers that he's going to end up with this season into any era, including the era that, that you played in. The early 80s where Wayne Gretzky scoring 92 goals, and it doesn't totally it, – it, it, it makes sense in that era. But this isn't the early 80s, right? This is 2023. Can you compare the two eras and, and what he is doing this season statistically? Well, just equipment alone. Like, I mean, um, like I mean, the goalie stuff is bigger. There's no Darren Pangs in that, like that's 5'6 <laughs> and 5'7. And I mean, every goalie you're facing is 6'4, covers all of the net. I mean, uh, it, it was an awful lot easier I mean, if you look back at Wayne, who was, I think is the greatest player that ever played, I mean, I mean, how many goals you got where the goalies are still standing up? They're not getting into butterflies. They're not, they're not going down and covering the whole net. I mean, they're all stand-up goalies. It seemed to be an awful lot easier when I watched video um, on this than um, than it is now. Now, I mean, uh, it is really tough. You, very rarely, if the goalie's on his game, I mean. Do you do you score a goal uh, that's not a rebound or there's a deflected in front or clean shots don't beat these guys and so it scores sixty to to potentially score sixty five or more is is unheard of I don't think anyway but I mean I've played him enough that every time I see him skate he you know I mean I blink because he's gone in the flash of an eye. Bruce, you mentioned that some of those numbers are unheard of. Another number that's unheard of, the Usos have held the tag team titles for 617 days right now. Your guy, Kevin Owens. It's time they gave it up. It's time they gave it up. Your guy, Kevin Owens, teaming up with his best bud, Sami Zayn, at WrestleMania. (laughs) How do you like their chances, Bruce? You know what? I really like the chances, but every time I like the chances, that's when the WWE switches the, the, (laughs) the script on me. 
Um, but I mean, I'll be really ticked off if they don't win this. They've gone through too so much, too much crap, and I, I think there's going to be they're just going to continue this, and Cody Rhodes is going to get involved with the two of them and go against uh, the Usos and and Sokoa and all of these guys. I know I'm I'm a wrestling nerd, so you know, give me hell. Hey, but, I knew the uh, number of days that they've held the titles offhand. You're not the only wrestling nerd here, Bruce. I'm I'm psyched <laughs> to talk as much WrestleMania as you want. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to telling my wife because when are we going to be home? And because I got to make sure I'm there for it, <laughs> I, or not in LA, but I mean watching it. It's like the Super Bowl to me. I'll be sitting there. Nobody can come into the room. Just let me watch and enjoy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, well, uh, enjoy uh, WrestleMania. E- enjoy uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs as well, Bruce. Uh, always a pleasure to chat. Thanks for this. I will. Thanks, guys. Uh, you can get tickets again for the Consmite Dinner at com. Bruce Boudreaux will be there. But don't expect him to talk about his Canucks tenure because don't want to mess with the golden goose which expires as we just found out in july at that point all 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 bets are off bruce can let it fly if i'm at the consmite dinner which i'm not but if i'm someone else uh all i'm asking we can get you there no i'm not uh, i'm not in the country um (laughs) we'll fly you back no thanks (laughs) Um, no i i have important things to to deal with but no i want the rest of his wrestlemania predictions he's got kevin owens and Sami Zayn. Beating the Usos. I, I want the rest. I, I could have, if you weren't here, I would have just done like 15 minutes more with him. I know. Uh, and if we weren't having uh, Alistair Johnson join us shortly, then yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I should have stepped aside. I'm always curious when, when you talk to people in in sports about things outside of sports and they're big fans of that. I mean, what does big fan really mean? Are they truly big fans? But like Bruce is a big fan. Like he, yeah, he had thoughts on the storylines and what, like, like, I, I, I didn't understand any of what you guys were talking about. So well I, done by Bruce. Yeah, for sure. He's definitely like a, a real fan. And there was that clip, of course, of, of him getting to meet Kevin Owens a while back, who is a Canadian and uh, looks like you. Yeah. Some some people think that um, has a beard is white guy. Yeah. yeah. Tattoo sleeves, a little yeah. chubby. What, what are you going to do? There, there are thousands of us in any <laughs> given Toronto neighborhood at a given time. Um yeah. So anyway, there are there are I've talked to athletes who are wrestling fans who are like, yeah, like Chris Boucher posts clips of like The Rock and Stone Cold on his Instagram story and stuff. There was one time I was at like a, a nothing event in town and I look over and like a seven foot guy on Raptors 905 is like just sitting there hanging out, like watching the, the wrestling by himself live. And I went over and like, hey, man, and just watch some of it with him. So some of them, are like Bruce, are, are pretty hardcore, others uh, less so. And then there, there are also the random times where, you, where you'll get like uh, – uh, LeBron James holding up his flip phone when mm. he was a rookie. If you if you know that meme, yeah, that that took place at, at wrestling. Um, Vince Carter's actually a huge wrestling fan, Didn't and it's like every time it was in the city that he was in when when he was playing in the NBA, he was always there front row. Um, yeah, so it's uh, I don't know. It's it's I think for some people it takes it takes up that space of like. I need to enjoy something. It's close to, to sports or like a, an action movie or something like that. But it also lets me turn my brain off for the most part. Like, I think that like reality TV is that for some people. Yep. It's not for me. Yeah. I, uh, I'll fire up. Look, no Leafs, no Jays, no Raptors tonight. You know, I'm firing up Monday Night Raw on sports. Night. Adam boy. Um, yeah. Speaking of the Raptors, uh, they're back in action tomorrow against the Heat. 
and they find themselves as they've been for like seemingly forever, right in the middle of the play-in tournament. And they're going to be in the play-in tournament, like I mentioned. It's the, the Pacers who are the closest pursuers, and yada 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 yada. It's, it's not going to happen. Um, I find this team very annoying to talk about, honestly, Blake, because it was it was interesting in in the moments proceeding the Jakob Pertl trade to evaluate how much better they were with him, and they're better. Like he's good, not like better than the other teams that are in the play-in tournament mix, which is where they are right now. And sure, like, I guess everything could click for them. And, I mean, Fred Van Vliet, I guess, expects it to. This is his quote on the play-in tournament. Hey, it can create, you know, unrealistic situations for a lot of teams. I think for us, a team that's been talented and kind of underperformed for the majority of the year, I think we feel really good about getting in and getting to our spot and making some noise. But again, still got to get it right. So I think, honestly, the first part of that is where we are with this team. It's like it creates these unrealistic, hey, man, in a couple of years ago, you'd be outside of the playoffs and, and you'd be battling tooth and nail with the Hawks to get that final playoff spot and the eight seed and again to get waxed by the Bucks, or you get the you get waxed by the Celtics. That's where we are. I mean, anything that is not that is a shock, absolute shock. Like them pushing either of those teams. Well, okay, losing in a play-in tournament game, winning a play-in tournament game. That anything can happen there. Nothing would shock us there. But like, if they got to a game six or a game seven against any team that they play in the actual playoffs, I mean, that would be shocking at this point. And it would be the feather in the cap of your season to say, oh, we were extra annoying for Milwaukee or Boston on their way, and maybe it slightly weakened them for further rounds. Like, that's that's the ceiling that you're you're talking about at this point. And then, you know, the top of the East is more or less settled. Like, Philly, I guess, could catch the two seed. It's unlikely, and Joel Embiid's sitting tonight. And then, what, you get to rematch the 76ers from last year mm-hmm. and have the same conversations and stuff. Um no, there's not. And I think the exact phrasing that I used at the trade deadline was Jakob Pertl makes you better. But if Jakob Pertl takes you from the 10th or 11th best team in the East to the 6th or 7th best team in the East, what does that do for you? And for me, it has made the games day to day more entertaining and more enjoyable to watch. And you I can guess. you can squint a little easier to see this team being back to last year's version next year. But that doesn't really move the like that doesn't tickle me. No, I'm not surprised by how they've looked, how they can beat play in tournament caliber teams, how they can also lose to play in tournament caliber teams who are missing players. But I wonder how the front office feels because like they they were the one that gave up the first round pick again for Jakob Pertl, a guy that they're gonna resign, the guy that you couldn't have gone out and just got in free agency. I understand that part. But you you listen to Masayu Jiri speak at that trade deadline, there was like a non zero chance that he thought we were going to see something pretty special with the addition of Jakob Pertl. We haven't. You haven't. And you've seen glimpses of it with the Fred and Pertl chemistry. You've seen Scotty Barnes obviously continue on, on the right path, especially late in games. OG Ananobi, since he shook off that wrist injury, has been unbelievable. And yeah, the Raptors have had some injuries. This is also still a team that I have to put out four tweet threads because everyone is stressed out that Jeff Doughton Jr. is almost out of NBA games on his two-way contract and isn't playoff eligible. Like, there is a real incongruence between what the top of this roster looks like it could be if the top six or seven are healthy and together and you give them next season with everything else going on. And you need those two things to be to be more in line with each other because having a good top six or seven that's good but not awesome 
is a tough place to be. It's a, it's a tough place to have upward mobility from. So no, I, I actually am a little frustrated that like, I don't think we've really even learned anything since the deadline. We've learned that OG Ananobi is going to be better when his wrist isn't almost broken. We've learned that Scotty Barnes is still developing like that. Neither of those are new. We learned that Fred Van Vliet who came into the league as a pick and roll point guard and who thrived in the bench mob as a pick and roll point guard shocker looks better when he has a center to operate pick and roll with like none of this stuff has been new or all that insightful um so we're left with a team that's still in the same mix and yeah they'll either beat the heat tomorrow and look like hey they could get the seven seed and then mm-hmm. you get a home game and two cracks at it and then you get boston instead of milwaukee or they could lose by 20 to the heat it's yeah. kyle lowry's first good game in like a month and you're like oh yeah this team barely got by the wizards and the pacers and the magics of the world yeah no uh the the dies, average the dies the dies cast yeah this like team. this is just like and, and i don't mean to sound overly negative being a like if they win tomorrow, they're back to 500. There's nothing wrong with being a 500 team. There's maybe something wrong with continuing to chase. This 500 team could be a little bit better if, if, if. Yeah. And I don't know. It's uh maybe it's a uh, an entitlement or something like that. A, a privilege of, of having followed this team for the last decade. But 500 team and first round also ran does doesn't doesn't do a whole lot now no and it's it's been a disappointment compared to the expectations for this team coming into the season i i wonder how much of a disappointment it is even since the deadline despite how good Jakob pertel has looked at this team like i wonder if messiah jury would be like man they, i really well, thought it well, looked I don't a lot think better so, than this because then they went and they they chase a will barton instead of giving those minutes to a developmental guy like that's the other thing is like if this team is going to take a step from what they are now to what they could be it's not going to be because you add the right 30 or 32 year old like like that young is in a game of chicken with nick nurse about if he's gonna ever get used in those end of bench scenarios um in part because he has a contract incentive tied to uh 60 games played and the raptors Mm -hmm. making the playoffs yeah there's union grievance let's go um but like you i don't know just stop i think they've lost that part of what took them from this type of team to a championship team and those incremental steps along the way was that they nailed all the talent identification and player development stuff. They weren't chasing, got to fortify the bench mob with some 33-year-old buyout candidate, got to add, you know, this vet and not, we can't give Pascal Siakam playing time. We need someone who has a higher floor and we can't play through those mistakes. Like there is a little bit of, they, they've lost that kind of love and feeling. Nah, they've lost the path that oh. got them there. And, and lost isn't the right word. Sometimes you miss on those guys. But, yeah, I love Jeff Doughton. I shouldn't have to be answering Jeff Doughton questions, like, multiple times a day because... Oh, my the, God. Because you can't two, be sick of talking about Jeff Doughton while we're in, we're in. so important to the play in We're rotation. in dire straits. Like, he Holy might cow. be their eighth best player. Holy cow. And he's got four NBA games left and isn't Ooh. eligible for the playoffs. Like, it's that's a uh, dark day when... Blake Murphy is sick of talking about Jeff Doughton Jr. And I love Holy Jeff Doughton Jr. I hope they re-sign him next year. I think he could be a, a back-end rotation piece. Remember but this if you moment. are trying to sell yourself on you could make some noise in the playoffs, I shouldn't be having to uncover new collective bargaining wrinkles around two-way players and play in games. Agreed. It just shouldn't be happening. Agreed. All right. Um, the Canadian men's soccer team, they took it to Curacao. We own Curacao. Take that. 2-0 on Saturday in Nations League action. They're going to play their first home game since the World Cup tomorrow at BMO Field against Honduras. We'll talk to Alistair Johnson, Team Canada, and Celtic defender next as the fan drive time continues. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, the fan. 
diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Drive Time, Sports Time 590 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. I'm horrible with dates, but I can tell you where I was exactly one year ago today, Blake. Oh, I thought you were reliving your single days. I thought you were going no, somewhere else. No. With that. I'm horrible no. with dates. Yeah. Uh, it's a miracle, my wife, man. <laughs> no, I'm really where were good you? on dates. Uh, no, one year ago today, I was at BMO Field watching Canada take care of Jamaica 4 nil to officially punch their ticket to the World Cup. It was not like in actual fact the coldest day of the year but i it's maybe the coldest experience i've ever been in it was rainy and you know honestly the temperature is not uh dissimilar to today uh alistair johnson he was there uh team canada and celtic uh, defender joins us online right now do you remember that day like it was yesterday alistair thanks for doing this by the way you know it's really scary to think that that was a year ago already it feels honestly like yesterday um but yeah, that was a chilly one. I do remember being very cold as well. It wasn't as cold as our Edmonton games, um, but it was it was about third on the list of cold matches. But you know what? We're Canadian, and we've gotten used to it at this point. Yeah, you know, and and honestly, if it's going to be cold, I I'm down with the snow. The the Edmonton game uh, was awesome. It was very warm in Curacao. It it looked like on Saturday. I know a game that you didn't play in because you were a bad boy back in June. And uh, we're bad boy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> honestly, that's it's pretty ridiculous. Say so, yeah, you 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 get a couple of yellows in June, and you're suspended many many months uh, after that. But you'll you'll be back for tomorrow's game against Honduras. Uh, your teammates taking care of Curacao with the two nil win. It was the, the first time we've gotten to see you guys together since the World Cup. I mean, how how in touch do you guys keep outside of the times that you get together for these national team events? No, we stay in we stay in constant communication. I'll tell you what, I think social media does such a good job of that too. Um, and you know, especially after the World Cup, so many guys have moved on to you know bigger and better things in the next stage of their careers. And it's cool to catch up with the guys and just follow them, see what everyone's doing. Um, it's been really amazing to see the growth the sport in our country, but also just the guys in this team. Um, so, no, we're really excited for, for each other in that aspect. And, yeah, we always like to stay connected. But I'll tell you what, it was difficult to get everyone onto that plane from Curacao because it was a vacation spot down there and a half. Um, I'll have to be getting myself back out there at some point. Um, when you look at the weather app and you see Toronto's weather compared to there, it, it hurt. But uh, we're back here, and hopefully Honduras are hurting a little bit too, having to see that. You know, that whatever it is, two degrees, three degrees, it's going to be um, tomorrow night. So we're looking forward to it. Um, and, yeah, the boys took care of business down in Curacao. I was being a bit of a naughty boy. And <laughs> what was that, eight months ago now or yep. six months ago? I, I literally had forgotten about it, and so did our team admin. Um, I had to text him to remind him, like, am I suspended for this match or, or what's going on here? Um, so, yeah, no, I've served my served my punishment, and, and hopefully I'll be back out there tomorrow night at the ML Field. Well, I'll be on your best behavior. We don't need to get you uh, suspended again. You mentioned how you stay in touch with guys and everyone kind of following each other's careers and, and things like that. Um, obviously, one of the challenges of playing for the national team is that you guys do go back to your league clubs, and then you have to come in and find that chemistry again really, really quickly. How much does you guys kind of coming up together as a group and having those relationships help in a week? like this where yeah you got to get right back to it and two big games uh and you've got to be able to click like right away no it's it's exactly that that's the most difficult part about international football is that 
you go away for three months and you're taught to play a completely different way at your club versus coming back here and you're, you might be playing a different style, you might be playing a different position, which is what I do, um, for example. So sometimes it takes a little while to click, but that's when that chemistry, that off the field kind of camaraderie really comes into play. And we have that, you know, we've had such a, you know, tight knit group and a real brotherhood here since I've gotten into the program just over two years ago now. And, and John's been very consistent with the lineups he's picked. He's added in players that obviously have quality, but also are really good characters. Um, so we always have enjoyed our time whenever we come to national team, just being around each other. And you can see it on the field too. Um, I think we've shown that with, you know, if you pick on one guy, you're picking on the whole team and not just the 11 guys on the field, but the bench as well is going to come over and, and get in your face. And, and that just really kind of ties into what we're all about. Um, so that definitely helps us on the field because, you know, we have that chemistry off the pitch that really helps on it too. You can see that we're playing for each other. Um, and, you know, those kind of things really do make a difference, um, especially international football where it is so difficult. You're only with each other for a week. Maybe you're getting three training sessions before a match. Um, so to get everyone back on the same page, it makes such a difference. So you guys are, are in, uh, you're at BMO Field. You're in this country playing together for the first time since the, the trip to Qatar uh, over the winter. Um, how, how has the mentality changed for, for you guys as a group, like as far as goals, because that was the ultimate goal, getting back to the world cup for the first time in, in over 30 years. And, and nobody anticipated this would be the, the, the group to do it, honestly, at the outset of, of, of qualifying and you guys shock the world and, and rightly so, and score the goal and, and acquit yourself nicely there. How does the mentality of this group change now that you have done that? And that honestly, in four years time, you guys won't have to requalify for the world cup because you're a host. Yeah, it, it definitely plays into it. The mindset's a little bit different. We see it as we climbed a mountain getting to the World Cup, but we just descended that mountain, and now we have a bigger mountain ahead of us. Um, you know, that, that first mountain was qualifying for a World Cup, being there, being a part of it, and now we want to close that gap. And that's going to be the most difficult thing you can possibly do because, you know, to a lot of people now, especially in the CONCACAF region, is that we're no longer the hunter. We're, being, we're the ones being hunted, but we still see it as, you know, we have levels that we still want to achieve. We want to close the gap to those elite, elite nations, and we want to be competing at World Cups. Um, so this next cycle is really going to be about now. It's about winning trophies. It's about, you know, we're being called the golden generation and all these kind of things. But at the end of the day, we don't have a single trophy to put in our trophy case. Um, so that's what these next couple of years are going to be about, is taking those next, uh, those next steps. It's not going to be easy. You know, we're going to now try and really get out there and compete and play against some of the biggest nations. Um, in the world of, of football, um, you know, that was opportunities that weren't really given before because of, you know, just of our prestige around the world. But now that we've gone to a World Cup show that we're about, all of a sudden, you know, there's bigger nations that are knocking on the door wanting to get a match against us because they don't just see it as an easy win, but they see it as quality competition um, that can prepare their team. Um, so that's going to be really exciting over these next couple of years to see really where we fit in and how we take those next steps because we do still have a really young core. Um, of course, we have some older leadership. Um, they're still still fighting and, and bringing so much quality and leadership to this group, uh, names like Atiba Hutchinson, Neon Boyan, and, and guys like that. So, you know, we're in kind of an interesting period where the younger guys are going to have to take a bigger role. Uh, but at the same time, it's something that we're all excited for. You know, we, we have some really good opportunities here, starting with the Nations League, to put ourselves in a great position to go for, you know, a trophy in the Nations League in the summer. And also we're going to be looking at a Gold Cup as well. So now we're really getting to that stage where we feel that, we are the kings of CONCACAF, but now we're going to have to prove it. We proved it in World Cup qualifying that we could finish top, but now we got to go do it 
um, you know, kind of year in, year out at our cost-cap tournaments. Um, and that's going to be the next step um, because that's the most difficult thing is changing that mentality from I'm hunting them to now being the ones with the target on our backs. And we understand that. Um, the coaching staff has been preaching that. Um, but again, it's a challenge that we're looking forward to. Well, Alistair, you, you almost have the opportunity here these next couple of years to do both, right? To, to be the hunters and the hunted, not only because you want more World Cup for, your success, for yourselves, uh, World Cup success for yourselves rather in 2026, but performing well at this Nations League, if you guys get to the final four and push through there, the, the Gold Cup that starts shortly after, um, that could see you guys also in the 2024 Copa Americas where, um, you know, then you're getting the chance to iron sharpen iron against some of those top South American teams. Um, how, how does that element play in where you guys, yes, are the, the top of CONCACAF and want to continue to prove that and defend that, but you're also trying to look forward to some of these other countries in the world, some of these other uh, groups and zones and say, yeah, we're, we're a factor outside of our own zone as well. That's exactly where we want to get to. It's that level where, we're consistently performing in CONCACAF. Um, and also, we know we're, we're getting noticed around the world. And, and that means that we're going to be playing against big countries, you know, from all these different regions, whether that's South America, Europe, Africa. You know, there's so many top nations that we want to go out and show that we can compete with. And I think in this World Cup, it kind of gave the rest of the world a good bit of a, just a taste of what we're about and what we can potentially be. Um, so, again, yeah, Combo Ball 2024 is definitely something that, we have our eyes on. Um, it's obviously still a little ways away, and there's a lot of things that we need to, you know, um, get done to qualify for that and make sure that we're there and competing in that. But at the same time, it's, it's hard not to, to look at that one on the calendar and get excited at the thoughts of Brazil, you know, the, the world champion Argentinian team with Leo Messi probably still playing. You know, that, that's really a special, special thought. So for us, that just gives us extra motivation. You know, it, it, it can be difficult sometimes. I think, you know, you've heard a lot from especially the European-based players, that the Nations League can be a bit, you know, taxing and, and how many international windows there are. It seems like there's a never-ending break in the in the football calendar. But for us, this gives us extra motivation because we know, you know, that carrot that's dangling in the stick is something that's bigger than we could ever imagine, you know, with the chance to potentially play in, in comma ball. So, you know, we're excited by that. And, again, it's just another challenge that this group is super hungry for. And, at the end of the day, we're professional athletes. You know, we want to test ourselves. We want to push ourselves and to see what, you know, what's the highest that we can reach. And there's nothing that sounds better than, you know, playing in one of the most difficult tournaments um, in the world against some of the best opposition in the world. And that's what the column ball is. So, you know, we want to make sure that we punch our ticket there. Well, and, and your strong play during uh, the World Cup qualification campaign uh, punched your ticket overseas to the Scottish Premier League where – uh, you, you play for Celtic now, and you guys are top of the table. And and I I, I think since you've been there, you, you guys have a draw and a win against Rangers. Can you put in perspective the rivalry between Celtic and Rangers for North American uh, sports fans who are maybe uninitiated? It's something that you just need to experience. I Honestly, I've tried to put it into words for people. Um, and, and even when I was over there, I was trying to get people to explain it to me, and they just said, just wait, just wait just go and experience it and, and going out there and, and just feeling the intensity, even the week leading up to it. And, and it's one of the craziest things, sharing a city with your, with your biggest rival is, is something that's a bit, a bit ominous, to be honest. Uh, you know, you lose that match, you, you can't leave your flat. You can't leave your house um, for that next week. Um, so it's really one of those ones that's just so deep-rooted. Um, it, it really just has taken on a life of its own within the city. Um, and it's a special, special match. You can see how much it means to the people there. 
Um, and in terms of comparing it to a North American rivalry, I don't, I honestly, I don't think anything compares. I would really welcome anyone if they want to experience something that's kind of almost out of body, try and get a ticket to one of those matches, um, whether it's at Celtic Park, at Ibrox. Um, either way, it's an unbelievable atmosphere. I'd recommend Celtic Park, um, personally. Um, of course you would. But, you know, it's, it, yeah, I'm a little biased there, aren't I? Yeah. Um, but, no, it's it's just such a special atmosphere. Um, and you can just see the passion. It's just written over everyone's faces and how much it means to them. Um, it's it's really special and to now be a part of two matches there. I played the once in the league away at Ibrox. My very first match got thrown on the fire a little bit there. And then, you know, my next time I played them was for um, a trophy at Hammond Park, which is um, the national stadium there. And the 50-50 split of fans and just seeing the fireworks, the, the passion, the emotion that was going through the entire match. Um, it was something to behold. And even as a player on the field, you almost take a second to stop and just grasp it and absorb it because you realize this isn't normal. This isn't what every football match is like. Um, and you're playing in one of, you know, the five great rivalry matches in the world of sport. Um, so I've really enjoyed it. Um, and I think that all true fans of just sport in general would really enjoy it. And if you ever do get an opportunity, go do it. You won't, you won't regret it, uh, regret it at all. Well, let us know if you get a plus one or a plus two for your next one, and we'll, we'll do the show from there. Um, there we go. Alistair, to, to take a really fun, uh, positive interview and end it on a bit of a sour, you, you spoke, as did John Herdman and a couple other players today, about the ongoing issues with Canada soccer as an organizing body. Um, and I know that you, in particular, brought attention to, hey, this isn't just about you guys. It's about um, youth organization and making sure that pipeline stays strong. Obviously, there's the element where um, the the women's national team hasn't been treated equally to you guys. Um, how do, how do you feel about kind of going through all of this stuff? You know, obviously putting on for your country, representing your country and, and you guys as a team have that bond, but while being, while going through this all with the Canada soccer nonsense, kind of hanging over top of it. No, I've been extremely proud of this group. I'll tell you what, it, it would have been really easy for us just to focus on the football. Um, you know, we're in such a special moment with where our program's at right now in terms of what we're doing on the field. That would have been really easy just to focus on that. But the guy said, no, look, we got this is our one opportunity where, you know, we have so much momentum behind us, the women's program as well, where we can really make a stand because, unfortunately, what's been going on off the field just isn't right. Um, and it was time that someone needed to make a stand. And luckily enough, we had the leverage. We had the people behind us to – you know, be able to make that and to make that decision to stand, to, you know, stand our ground because what's going on is it just really isn't right. You know, it's not healthy for, you know, the growth of the game in this country when the money that's coming into Canada soccer that should be getting divided up into the infrastructure of Canada soccer, into the youth programs, into the national teams to make sure that we're playing at that next level and continuing to grow. Um, and, and one of the biggest things is the youth teams. You know, there's been so many camps that have been postponed where, you know, we can't even have but I've been bringing in youth national teams to play games. And, and how are we supposed to be competing at this next level? How are we expected to be consistently qualifying for World Cups if we're not even raising our youth, you know, to be able to play at that level too? So it's been really frustrating to see all the money that we've been bringing in, both ourselves and the women's program, through sponsors, um, you know, World Cup money and all this stuff being siphoned off into through a deal that, you know, they won't still won't really open up the books for us for. And, you know, that's been really frustrating because – you know, we're not doing it for personal gain, but really seeing this as something that this just isn't right. And if we don't stop it now, it's never going to end. So, you know, I'm really proud of this group that they've taken a stand. The women's team has stood with us. Um, and, and that's been, 
you know, really helpful because we've been unified in what we want. We understand that, you know, they haven't been treated fairly, and we don't agree with that either. You know, it's it, it shouldn't be like that. This is Canada. You know, we're we're one of the leading nations in that, and there's no reason why we should be this unprofessional off the field when we're trying to be world class on the pitch. Um, so that's kind of the what I'm trying to push um, to everyone is to understand what's going on behind the scenes um, with us. Um, it's yeah, it's been difficult, but at the same time, is we know that if we keep playing and doing what we need to do on the pitch, it's only going to help um, with everything off of it, hopefully. Um, but yeah, no, I've been I've been really proud of this group because it hasn't been easy uh, easy for anyone. Well, yeah, fingers crossed that the, the off the pitch stuff uh, is able to be resolved in in good enough time that yeah, we can focus more on the on the pitch uh, situation, which is mm-hmm. Canada versus Honduras tomorrow. At BMO Field. Alistair, thanks so much for doing this. Appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me, guys. There's Alistair Johnson, Team Canada and Celtic defender. Would you like to take a trip to Scotland with me? Sure. You ever been? Uh, not to Scotland, no. I've been to Scotland. Hmm. In fact, I was just thinking about my trip, my last trip to Scotland. My one and only trip to Scotland It was for the 1999 Open Championship um, at Carnoustie. A little a fella by the name of Jean Vandeveld was uh, leading, uh, headed to the 18th hole. Uh, I did not see him play his 18th hole, though, because I was with my dad. We were there on Sunday for the awarding of the Claret Jug, except, you know, with a with a two-stroke lead, we decided to get on the train early and never... We, we saw some guy freaking out who was listening to it on, like, his Walkman. Um, but, yeah. No, I saw Jean Vandeveld play 17 holes, but not the 18th, which was kind of more significant than the previous 17. Well, to come full circle to how we started this show with uh where you are on dad mode mm. um taking your kid to an all-time event and then leaving just a little what? early to beat I, the traffic honestly is, like i don't know if it gets more dad than that <laughs> That's it. you're so right like you were yeah like either you're in or you're out and uh we were kind of in but then we were out anyways <laughs> i've since seen it but yeah i i could have seen it in person uh i didn't get to all right time now for last call Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Uh, we got the final four set. It's, uh, you know, man, if you were that guy that like at least had one one seed in uh, your bracket, you're out of luck because we got San Diego State, one and a half point favorites against Florida Atlantic. Uh, UConn, five and a half point favorites against Miami as UConn, the favorite to win it all, minus 134. The favorite to win it all as a four seed. Yep. Amazing. Yep, it is. Uh, MVP winners. So we kind of alluded to this conversation. We don't have a ton of time for it, um, but it's it's Nuggets Sixers tonight. Yeah, we're sitting the conversation out, just like uh, Joel Embiid <laughs> is sitting this game out. <laughs> oh, we, you got 30 seconds. Joel Embiid is the current favorite to win the NBA MVP at minus 125. It's been really interesting to watch this market shift. Jokic plus 135, and there's Giannis uh, bringing up bronze medal position at plus 400 that was last call brought to you by bet rivers it's a whole new game another interesting thing on the nba front to just keep an eye on there and we don't i don't think they do odds for things like all nba but the dallas mavericks are currently out of a playoff position i'd have to go through it i can't remember the last guy who made all nba as a non-playoff non-play-in team luka Doncic is like this is about more than just Kyrie wrecking stuff and him being unhappy like this wow. might this might cost him some stature points 
uh, as well. The Mavericks, a game out of the final play-in spot in the Western Conference now. At least Luka gets to play tonight against the Pacers because that tech got rescinded. Oh, right. I mean, they just lost the Hornets back-to-back. They can lose the Pacers. Yeah, the Hornets cheated, though. Svi hit a couple shots. (laughs) We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye. 